Well, it's good to be here. I always feel like I'm, uh, uh, you know, I love Toronto churches. I love this church. And uh, I pastor at Liberty Grace Church. And it just feels like, uh, I don't know, we're cousins or something like that. So it's really good to be here. I think we're actually cl- closer than cousins, probably, when you get right down to it. If you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Psalm 1. If not, I think it's going to be on the screen. And I want to read this. It's fairly short. Uh, and as we're going to see, Psalm 1 is really a gateway to uh, the entire book of Psalms. So uh, it really sets us up for uh, a lot of things. It sets us up for how to live, and it sets us up for really the theme of what the Psalms is all about. So hear God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, so some negatives. But here's a positive. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So what is that person like who meditates on God's word, who delights in God's word? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. I want to tell you something you know already. You might have forgotten. Your brain is amazing. You're supposed to say thank you, you know, or at least your brain is supposed to say, I know. Tell me something I don't know. I know I'm amazing. Your brain only weighs three pounds. I don't know how, well, I know how they figured that out. I don't want to know how much mine weighs because I'll be dead <laughs> by then. But uh, your, your brain is a spongy mass of water, fat, and protein. And here's the thing. I mean, if you saw a brain, you'd uh, be able to hold it and feel it, and, and it wouldn't look that impressive. And yet it's more complex than any other known structure in the universe. Billions of cells, approximately 100 billion neurons. So just think about that, 100 billion neurons. Uh, The information in your brain passes uh, for everything that you do, everything you think of, at a speed of up to 250 miles per hour. Now we think we see, it's almost like we picture like, You know, we're in here and there's these windows and we look out and see the world. But actually, your brain recreates from light an image of the world. You see nothing. Basically, the, your, your brain takes the signals from your eyes and recreates within your mind a representation of the world from photons and electrons, light and dark molecules in motion and connects it with, uh, basically connects it with your, senses uh, with what you need, with, with what you want, with what you want to do. And it operates every second of the day. You know, when you go to sleep, your brain in some ways is still operating. Uh, that's why we have these crazy dreams. That's why we're able to continue functioning. It's not just a supercomputer, but a collection of computers. It handles all your cognitive processes. It stores all your memories and it's a seed of your emotions. I don't know if you ever had that experience of something happens. Maybe you smell something or you're in a neighborhood 
And you'd long forgotten something, but something is filed away and your brain is able to retrieve it. And after a while, you're like, I was here. You know, I, I had that sense last night. Like, I was here before. I remember this. And uh, the, the ability of your brain is amazing. So your, our brains, not your brain, but our brains, the human brain, has allowed us to invent the wheel, design semiconductors, build the pyramids, paint the Sistine Chapel, compose symphonies, and land on the moon. I mean, it's also done a lot of other stuff that isn't as good, but it's done, a, it's done some pretty amazing things. And despite the research, we still don't know a lot about the brain. And if we're going to live well, we really have to look after our brains. Uh, one thing my wife, Shar, is uh, big about is embodied spirituality, that uh, a lot of us think, you know, we're souls who are somehow uh, trapped in a body. That is not the Christian view of who you are. The Christian view of who you are is that God made us body and soul as a united whole that for eternity will be together. Our bodies will be transformed, but you were made as an embodied person. And that means that we have to care for our bodies. We have to care for our minds. God, your your body is not this... Uh, I mean, the Gnostics used to believe that your body is an unfortunate accident that is kind of messy because it sweats and you know smells and everything like that, and your spiritual part is the important part. That is not the Christian view. The Christian view is that your brain matters that your body matters deeply to God. And so we have to figure out, what does it look like to live well with our brains? And the problem today is, and it's something I want to think about for a few minutes with you, is uh, your brain is under attack. So Cal Newport writes about something called brain hacking. Uh, every social media company employs uh, really smart people whose goal is to hack your brain so that when you open the app, whatever app it is, what do we do? I mean, it's addictive. And you find yourself, at, you do, I'm sure, don't you? I do. Scroll, you're like, oh, not me. Scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I don't know if you've ever gone on Facebook, uh, if you are on Facebook, and all of a sudden, there's nothing there, no notifications. You're like, oh, nobody loves me. This is horrible. And then a second later, ping. And there's a notification. You're like, somebody loves me. And you go and it's like, uh, it, nobody's love, like, it's nobody is, it's actually just that moment tagged you. Facebook realizes that you've just come on and there's nothing for you. So they give you a little ping and it's something really silly. Like, oh, you know, and, and it, it, they know they're doing this on purpose. Dopamine is, uh, basically the brain's feel good chemical. It's a chemical so powerful that rats ignore sex and food if they can know they, they can get a dopamine hit. They did experiments, and I know we're not rats, but work with me here. They did an experiment. They electrified a grid, and uh, they made it so that a rat would have to get shocked to walk across that grid. But on the other side, would be able to activate something that gave it a dopamine hit. And the rats are like, that's good. That's fair. Like, I'll do the, I'll walk. I mean... And we're no different, right? Anybody done a tough mutter here? Okay. So, like, you know, we'll, we'll get shocked. At the end, it'll be like, yeah, we did it. A little dopamine hit. But that's exactly what all these online services are doing. They're, uh, I, if not an addiction, they're at least developing a compulsion within us. 
And so one person has said that we're the most distracted generation in human history. And the question is, well, what difference does it make? Like, Andrew, who invited this guy? Here's the difference that it makes. Studies show that the more addicted you are to your phone, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety. Uh, That's from a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. The more addicted you are to your phone, and is there anybody here who isn't semi-addicted to their phone? The more prone you are to depression and anxiety, the less able you are to concentrate at work and sleep at night. We're always connected. The thing is, we're wired for connection. Uh, I mean, even babies uh, from the womb are wired to be able to identify a face. And uh, we're wired, right? We are drawn to look at people's faces. And uh, the thing is, online virtual communities give us sort of a pseudo. It's like eating cotton candy, like you're filling your stomach. You're giving yourself something, some form of calorie input. But it doesn't really meet your deepest hunger. It's not what your body actually needs. And so we're, we're really longing for human connection. And all this stuff online gives us sort of a version of that without giving us the real thing. But here's the, the, the deeper impact. That's serious because relationships matter. But then there's our spiritual lives. And that book that I just mentioned says this, the more distracted we are digitally, then the more displaced we become spiritually. And so there's a, I think you'll agree, our, your brain is amazing. And yet your brains are under constant attack to be distracted digitally. And what's the solution to that? I want to think today a little bit about uh, what that means, what it could look like to follow Jesus Christ, to love Jesus Christ with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, in a digitally distracted world. I want to just think about that because I think uh, somebody said, maybe the greatest danger to your spiritual life isn't that one day you'll become an atheist, but that you'll go through life distracted. Not that you'll deny God, but you'll just walk through life completely distracted and not actually loving God with all of your heart and mind and soul. And so I want to think a little bit. I want to think about Psalm 1 in a minute, but um, you know, I actually think that part of what it could mean for us is uh, curation. And I'm going to look especially at the adding, but I want to just think a minute about subtracting. There's this thing in the Bible called fasting, and uh, Jesus talked about it a lot. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, he assumed that we would do it. Uh, And back then, I mean, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about, hey, guys, disciples, gather around. I want to talk to you about fasting from your phone this week. Of course, like, that, there were no phones. There was nothing. But this idea of, for the sake of pursuing God, withholding some things that provide us satisfaction for the sake of reminding ourselves that our deepest satisfaction is found in God alone. And so I wonder if there is a practice today of curating our attention and fasting. Now, to be clear, I'm not actually saying let's get rid of uh, our phones. I actually brought my phone up with me. I love my phone. I love, I I use Google Maps to get here. I love podcasts. Uh, Yesterday I was cleaning, and the only thing that got me through cleaning with a sane mind is that I could put on my headphones and listen to podcasts. I love audiobooks. And yet I wonder if there's something about stewarding the input that comes into our mind through technology. And so Cal Newport writes in Digital Minimalism, 
He says that we need a philosophy of technology in which we focus our online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and miss out on everything else. So I wonder if, so what do you value? If you, today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you value, uh, God, you value scripture, you value the things that matter for eternity. And so maybe there's a way to actually fast from things that distract us from that and to add apps to our phone that actually build into our spiritual lives. And so there's a lot of books about that. Cal Newport wrote one, not from a Christian perspective. Andy Crouch wrote one called The TechWise Family. I would suggest that we need things like a digital Sabbath, uh, which means for some period of a week, putting your stuff away and saying, I'm not going to use this. Eliminating notifications, uh, doing things like that. One day I went to a concert. Somebody gave us concert tickets. And uh, we got to the concert. I forgot my phone. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, and I, so at the beginning of the concert, they said, look, this is a great concert, world-class musician. Everybody put their phones away. Just enjoy it. And so I was in the balcony looking down. The whole concert, I see these little rectangular glows. And because I forgot my phone at home, I was able to be so judgmental. Look at these people. Like, it's ridiculous. Look at them. Can't they enjoy the concert that's here? Well, at the end of it, I I mean, I just felt so good being judgmental of everybody for being online. At the end of it, uh, we left, and Char's like, I just need a minute. So she went to the restroom, and I was standing outside watching people go by, which was kind of fun. And then I found myself reaching in my pocket, like... And then like, oh no, like what am I going to do? My phone isn't with me. And it was this this weird moment of like three minutes of my life where I was waiting and in the old days I just would have been watching and enjoying and I'm like, oh my, like what is, how am I going to get through these next three minutes? And it was almost like I wasn't even aware that I do that so often. So what would it look like to actually like purposely leave our phone behind sometimes so we can be present and love the people that we're with? But today... I actually want to look at Psalm 1 because part of curation is fasting. But Psalm 1 actually gives us something that we're supposed to do that in terms of curating our attention, which is adding. And we read it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So Psalm uh, verse 1 gives us a progression. And I love how realistic uh, the psalmist is. He says, blessed is a man who, and you notice what it, how it begins, walks. And so walking is, you know, like, you know you're walking with somebody. It's, it's like, it's, you're not really making a commitment if you walk with somebody. You're just for a while walking with them. But then it says, there's a progression, nor stands in the way of sinners. So last week I was in Kensington Market, and I was walking. And there were these people with the clipboards and the vests on. And they're like, you look like a man who... And I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm not. Whatever it is you're about to say, I'm not. I'm not a man who loves animals. I love eating, you know, whatever. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I didn't even stop long enough to stay. But, you know, like what he's, the psalmist is saying is, you know, you're walking. But then if you stop... And you're like, I'm going to be polite to these people. I'm going to be there the next 15 minutes. I'm not making a commitment to them, but at least I'm... And It's like that progression, like you're walking, but 
Blessed is man who not, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands. It's like going a little bit deeper. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Here's a warning for us. First we, and this is true of your spiritual life, first you uh, walk, and then you stand, and then you end up sitting and taking up permanent residence in evil. It's progressive. Nobody who looks at pornography started out by, like, jumping all the way in the deep end. Like, first they're like, you know, I'm gonna, that is not so bad. And then they take another step and, and they go another step. You know, nobody who's given into anger does that. It's like, you know, I'm holding a little grudge. And then you go a little bit further and you nurse that grudge. And one day you wake up and you are an angry person. Whatever that is, it's a gradual thing. This, nobody walks away from God instantly. They're like, you know what, church, it's, I don't need to go to small group. I can miss it. It's just been a tiring week. And then it's like, you know what? I've, I'm busy. I deserve a night off. Like, and then after a while, like, it's, it's always a gradual thing. And what the psalmist is saying here is, what are we to avoid? Anything that pulls you away from God. Any influence that pulls you away from God. Avoid a gradual drift away from God because of influences that you let into your life. Because at first it doesn't seem that serious. That friendship, that when you're with that person, you find yourself being pulled away from loving God. That media source that changes the way you think. Uh, the other week I was listening to an audio book, and I, it was really, it was like a celebrity biography. And uh, got to a chapter where it's like, I need to turn this off right away. I actually need to delete this from my phone. Like, this is not... If I go further, this is going to be taking me away from honoring God. What is it that has your attention that maybe is gradual but is drifting you away, pulling you away from God? You begin to pick up their perspective. You begin to see things uh, in a way that is not God-honoring without you even knowing it. Some relationships are opposed to God, and some influences are opposed to God. And the psalmist says, take action. Your walk with God depends on it. But then, so again, that's like the, let's remove. As we curate our attention, let's remove things that pull us away from God. But then verse 2 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Here is the alternative. Getting The negative is like, let's get rid of stuff. But uh, as Chalmers' famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, it's like getting rid of stuff is never enough. You've got to replace it with something. And here what the psalmist is saying, like get rid of something, but it's going to leave a void. And how do you fill that void? Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. So what influences do you allow in your life? Well, Salma says here, the primary influence in our lives should be diligent attention and delight in God's word. It says here the law of the Lord. Uh, the law specifically uh, refers to the law of Moses, uh, the first five books, uh, the Pentateuch. Uh, in the, this context, it seems to refer to more to that scripture in general, uh, especially the Psalms. And here the psalmist is basically saying, look, the, the antidote to getting yanked away from the Lord is to develop a 
delight and an ability to meditate on God's word. And here the idea isn't like, um, so I, I believe actually in reading, I always tell our people at Liberty Grace, read God's word, uh, build a habit of reading God's word regularly. If you don't know, if you don't understand it, it's actually reassuring that studies show that you don't even need to fully understand it to benefit from it. So Lifeway did a study and said, you know, because I hear this all the time, like, I get stuck. I don't understand it. And I get it. But the studies actually show that even if you don't study it, even if you don't completely understand it, just that regular exposure to God's word, it's almost like it's becoming fluent. And so it's like a baby saying, I don't understand everything I'm hearing. Like, it's, well, I'm giving up. This English thing's way too hard. Well, no, like, the regular exposure, repeated exposure, does something to you. But here it's actually not just about the, I mean, as much as the daily habit of, medit- uh, of reading God's word is important, this actually is talking about something more. It's saying, what do you think of when you're, uh, you stop at the stoplight? What does your mind gravitate to? The other day, I, I, Charlene was, I could tell that she was thinking, and I said, do you hate this question? What are you thinking about right now? Do you hate when somebody asks you that? And she says, maple syrup. <laughs> and I said, that is an amazing thing to be thinking about. Like, this is, I can get on board with this. Like, now I'm thinking about maple syrup. And so, you know, and it's like, what, what do you, like, in that moment where somebody says to you, what are you thinking about? The psalmist is saying, increasingly there should be, I'm thinking about God's word. Like, I'm just chewing on something. D.A. Carson said, puts it this way. He says, you wake up in the middle of the night. And your mind is so full that it revolves around what God has declared. You think in those terms, and when you see squabbles developing in the church, or when you see disputes about how things should be done, you naturally find yourself asking, what does Scripture say? I wonder what God says on this. Is there some part of the Bible that I need to read again here? He meditates on it day and night. So Tim Kerr, a friend of mine, uh, recently I was talking to him. Tim is the least likely guy to brag. Like, every time I see him, I'm like, you are way too self-deprecating. Like, he, he is not somebody who uh, says that anything good about himself. Like, if I say, would you preach? He's like, oh, there's way better preachers. And he believes that. He's not being falsely humble. But last week I was talking to him, and he said, I find that a lot of people ask me for advice. I've just noticed that people come to me for advice. And he says, as I thought about that, I've kind of wondered if it's because I've meditated on the book of Proverbs so much that when people come to ask me of of advice, my brain just is filing through all the Proverbs I've memorized. And I'm able to, my mind is so full, saturated with scripture, that I'm able to give them advice from the storehouse of scripture that I've taken in and meditated on over time. It's not me. I'm not wise. It's just the scriptures, especially the book of Proverbs, just come out of my mouth when I, I'm asked for advice. I think that's what the psalmist is talking about, of being so shaped by Scripture that it's not like, oh, you're so wise, but it's like, no, the Scriptures are wise, and they've been made me wise because I've taken them in. The psalmist says uh, about meditating on them day and night. What does that mean? Well, the technical term is murism, and it's, it's almost like... Um, you know, like I've been work. I could say, you know, like I I've been working night and day, right? And you understand, he's not saying night and days. He's talking about or day and night, right? It's like it, the mirrorism is like 
the extremes and everything in between. So what the psalmist is saying here is our whole lives are to be full of scripture. It's almost like it's supposed to be, in some sense, just filling our entire lives that we're taking it in. And what I love about it is the psalmist is saying, this is for pastors. This is for really, like, I know most of us are going to be, like, just normal Christians. But there's going to be some who really are advanced. And this is for them. The psalmist actually says, this is the way to live. Like, if you want to live a good life, if you want to flourish, as we're going to see in a minute, this is the ordinary Christian life. This is what all of us are invited to, that we're to fill our minds with so much scripture that it just begins to change us. And Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, that you and I might get to the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. And he pictures a silkworm eating the leaf and consuming it. And in that same way, uh, we ought to do that with the word of the Lord, not crawl over it but eat right into it until we've taken it into our inmost parts. It is merely idle to let the eye glance over the words or recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it's blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at very last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned on scripture models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. He talks about John Bunyan, a famous preacher who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and says, uh, basically, of, um, if you looked at Bunyan, you could say, this man is a living Bible. Prick him everywhere, and his blood is bibbling. It's like, you, instead of blood, it's like the Bible flows out. Uh, he cannot speak without quoting a text. His very soul is full of the word of God. And Spurgeon said to his congregation, I commend his example to you, beloved. Now, I want to think about this. The psalmist was able to delight in God's word and recommend this to us as well. And I got thinking about this because this sounds like, oh, this is like a super spiritual thing, right? Like, at this point, I'm thinking, like, this is so unrealistic. I mean, we have jobs, we have kids, we have responsibilities. And let's face it, the Bible's hard sometimes. Uh, It just is. And I got thinking about this. If the psalmist could say this about the law of the Lord, which is delightful, it actually is. I'm listening to it right now. Every morning I get up, I put my ear, the first thing I do, it's really hard in in January, but I go outside, walk a couple kilometers, listen to scripture, first thing I do every day. And I'm listening to the law. And I got thinking, like, the law is amazing. It really is. It's, I'm really appreciating it more and more. You know, we have more than, the, than what the psalmist had. We actually have the revelation of Jesus. Like, we actually know the end of the story where God himself becomes one of us. That God himself comes in the form of Jesus and takes our sins upon him and goes to the cross, calls us as, thank you for reminding us today of the, the truths of scripture in music and in your words. Like, If the psalmist was able to say this, and we have greater revelation of God's grace and who we are in Jesus Christ, I want want even more delight in God's word than the psalmist had, because I have much more to feast on. It's like, you know, it's almost like somebody brings out the appetizer and you're like, this is amazing. And then like later on, the rest comes out and you're like, I thought the appetizer was good. Like, this is so, this is like the best meal ever. We have the full meal to enjoy. And if the psalmist could write this with what he had, how much more can we delight 
and what God has revealed to us in his scripture. So at this point, you're saying, I guess, like, you're thinking about what's coming the rest of your day. You're wondering how close I am to wrapping up. I don't know what you're thinking about. I know that that's what happens, though. You're like, where's this going? I want to really just show you what's going to happen if we live this way. I love the psalmist because he's he's so expert at saying, okay, this is the way we normally are, right? A gradual drift away from God. Like we start here, we w- it's like the riptide, right? If you've ever gone out and swam uh, in the ocean and you think that it's like you look at where your beach umbrella is and you think you're there. And that, but meanwhile, the, the drift, and you've just drifted. You didn't even realize it. And you got to swim back or go to the shore probably if you're like me and then walk back because uh, the riptide's pulling you away. So he says, like, that's what's happening to all of us. How do we counter that? Fill your mind. Meditate on God's word. What are the results, though? The psalmist says, if we live this way, we'll prosper like a tree planted by streams of water. If you've been to the Middle East, you know that, uh, I mean, if, if you've been to a lush forest, you know that, like, tree, like, nice, you know, lots of trees, millions of trees. You go to northern Ontario, we camped in Awenda this past, it's like, Oh, a tree, like it's flourishing, big deal. In the this part of the world, a tree flourishing is evidence of, of there's a water source. There's something, like you don't just take for granted that trees would flourish there. And the psalmist is basically saying, look, if you want a good picture, picture a fairly harsh environment for trees. And picture walking across and seeing a tree that is alive. And it's in season and there's fruit it's it's like flourishing. Can you relate to that? Is Toronto a harsh environment to flourish? <laughs> yeah. It, and the, I love this picture because it's like picture somebody who comes, you you come across them and they're alive. And when you're with them, you just feel like, man, I if I could hang around this person more, I think I would feel better myself. Like they just are fully, there's something about them that's crackling with life. The psalmist says that, and he compares them to the the wicked who are like chaff that the wind blows away. It's like it's dead, and the wind comes, and it, it just disintegrates. What the psalmist says here is, this is not just something that will lead you to be a Bible scholar. Somebody this week had a Bible trivia game, which I hate, because <laughs> they're always like, who is the fourth son of, you know, it's like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. I just felt like, okay, like, take away my seminary degree. Like, I, I, this almost is saying, like, it, you'll become a really good at, uh, person at Bible trivia. Like, you'll win Bible trivia pursuit every time. Now, what he says is, you'll flourish in a very difficult environment. Your roots will be watered by God himself so that you're, you will live. And people will look at you and they'll sense there's something different about you. It's really interesting the Bible compares us to a fruitful tree. This image of, you know, beginning with the tree of life and, uh, it's just a theme. Isaiah develops it, but we'll just be like this tree that drinks in the water of God's word and really lives. I want to get practical, uh, here because what I've talked about is like, doesn't it sound glorious? Like actually delighting in God's word. Not just tolerating it, not just like read another passage, but actually delighting in it. But 
what does this, doesn't it actually seem inviting to be at the stage where you flourish, where you're so in love with God's word that people see there's something different about you? How, what does this actually look like in reality? I want you to, I, I, here's my homework for you. I'm going to give you a couple of ideas, but I actually want you to go home and think about this. Uh, let me give you a couple of ideas of how I think it could look like. But then I, I actually think it really depends on you. So a couple of years ago, uh, I told my whole church, look, I've come across a Bible reading plan. You all need to do it. Here it is. You know, go for it. Let's do it all together. Shar, including, and Sharding came to me a couple months later and she said, you have completely ruined my Bible reading. <laughs> I said, oh, and she said, I had a good thing going. Like, I'm not you. I had a way of engaging God's word. And you came and imposed your way of engaging God's word on me. And it's really wrecked my, my delight in God's word. And now I got to figure out how to get back to where I was. Thank you, husband. You know. <laughs> And I'm scared a little bit. I can tell you what works for me. I can tell you what, but we're all different. And so let me just give you a couple of ideas. But I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you maybe what works for me and suggesting that you think about how to adapt this for what works for you. What is the first thing you do in the morning? Studies show that most of us have this pretty close to where we sleep. And before our feet hit the ground, the first thing we do is we pick up the phone and we check in with um, emails, Facebook, uh, Instagram, whatever it is. Now, I'm not here to tell you there's anything morally wrong with that. Um, there's no 11th commandment that has been revealed that that is a sin or anything like that. But in the common rule, so if you do that, this is not a guilt thing. But in the common rule, uh, James Earl Whitney suggests, what if we actually made the first thing we think about every day uh, the word of God before we check in with our phones? He says, he just found this works for him. He says, refusing to check the phone until after reading a passage of scripture is a way of replacing the question, what do I need to do today? Or, I'm paraphrasing, you know, where did, what is Meghan Markle doing today? Or, you know, what, what has Donald Trump done today? Or what has Justin Trudeau done today? What if, instead of that being the first thing we think about today, what if the first thing was, who am I? And who am I becoming in Jesus? And he says we have no stable identity outside of Jesus. Daily immersion in scriptures resists the anxiety of emails, the anger of news, and the envy of social media. Instead, it forms us daily in our true identity as children of the king, daily, dearly loved. So what if we did that? What if we actually said first thing every day? This is not a law. If you don't do this, you are not like... But what if we just said, experimented with this, the scripture, I'm going to make it the primary influence of my life. And before I pick up the phone, I'm going to make sure that I get an input of scripture. Now, you've already heard me. I pick up my phone and plug in my earphones and get scripture. So, you know, it's not about the phone. It's about what if you made scripture the first thing that you went to? One more idea. I think this one is actually more important for all of us. Learn and practice biblical meditation. And I'm going to close with this. This one's a little bit harder. Everyone's big on meditation these days. So Tim Ferriss, who wrote the 4-Hour Workweek, says, he interviewed all these world-class people and says, of all the habits that are consistent among the, the most successful people, 
Uh, daily meditation is kind of the most common habit. If you're successful, you practice daily meditation, chances are. 80% of world-class performers share this trait. But, you know, he's talking about things like, uh, he's talking about very different forms of meditation sometimes. What if we recaptured something called uh, biblical meditation? Uh, so Drew Dick, who wrote a book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, says this. Most popular forms of meditation incorporate beliefs and practices from Eastern religions. Empty your mind. Um, you know, kind of like get rid of everything. And yet, there's this thing that we, I think we really need to recover called biblical meditation that's been practiced for centuries. And it's not so much emptying our minds. It's using contemplative prayer. Um, so some of the songs we sang today, those words, I mean, they're not scripture, but they're rich. And using one of, finding one of those, and like, I, I don't know if this is allowed, but one Sunday, pull out your phone and take a picture of the song. And you do that? You've done that? And then get home and, like, for the next week, I'm going to chew on that phrase and meditate on it. Just take some time every day and chew on it. Or simply choose to meditate on scripture, mulling over a short section of the Bible. Charles Stone, a pastor in London, says, uh, he talks about something he calls Christian mindfulness. Mindfulness. He says it's basically cha- taking a uh, time to be still before God to remind ourselves that he's actually present, which we did today. Thank you for reminding us that we're in God's presence. Heather, uh, not emptying our mind, but filling our minds with thoughts of him and his word. And what about, because all of us are busy, what if we said for five minutes a day, we're going to even get a timer out and maybe get a piece of God's word, begin with Psalm 1 maybe, and just say, I'm going to chew on it. I used to give my dog before we knew this was wrong. We'd go to the butcher, we'd get a nice steak, um, and then we'd, you know, the after we were done, we'd give it to the dog. There was nothing on it. The dog would take it and for two hours would chew on it. Now they say don't give your dog a bone because it could splinter, but we didn't know that back then. What if we took God's word and we just chewed on it like that, like a dog with a bone, getting every morsel of spiritual nutrition we can from it? What I'm saying basically today is the most important, your brain is amazing, and what shapes your thinking shapes your life. So why not make the word of God the primary and most important influence by meditating on it and delighting in it day and night? And that's how the blessings of God's word grow exponentially over time. It's what I want for myself. It's what I want for all of you. Because that, the psalmist says, is the way to flourishing, the way to the good life. Let's pray. Father, we are so inundated with messages from this world. And we don't realize it, but these messages form us and shape us. Lord, we're so shaped by social media, by news, by emails, by ads, and by Netflix, by shows. We want to be shaped by you. We want to get our identity from you. So, Lord, please make your word our delight. Help us to meditate on your word day and night. And Lord, may we not just meditate on it, but I pray that in meditating on it, we would encounter Jesus in your word. Father, help us to eat your word, to absorb it, 
to think about it so that we become like trees planted by streams of water, producing fruit in season and prospering in all we do. I thank you for this church. Thank you for Andrew and Anne. I thank you for the elders here. I thank you for each person. Nobody is here by accident today. And so, Spirit, would you do your work in us and make us lovers of you and lovers of your word. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.